busy, burdened, and burnt out. Does that describe a few of you? It's interesting to me that even in the midst of a pandemic, when many things were shut down and many of our normal rhythms and our normal busyness of life was taken from us for a season of time, and it still extends, there's still certain things that aren't back to normal. There's a lot of things that aren't back to normal. But if you remember back to March, when we couldn't leave our home except for groceries for two weeks, and how even in the midst of that time, so many people felt busy, burdened, and burned out. School was shut down, activities were shut down, sports were canceled, stores were closed, restaurants shut down. There was literally nothing to do. And yet people still felt this this weight of busyness. In his book, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan rightly labels the American culture, saying, in America, busyness is fetish, stillness is laziness, and rest is sloth. Busyness is fetish, stillness is laziness, and rest is sloth. See, part of the problem with the COVID shutdown is that we don't know how to be still, how to live simply and to be quiet in our culture. We just don't. Being still, living simply, and being silent, that's not characteristic of our culture at all. Fast-paced, moving quickly, noise, And abundance describes our culture. We're constantly on the move, seeking more. And so it's in this reality that the fourth commandment comes to us to help wound, to help help heal our wounded and weary hearts. The fourth commandment is God's love for his people. Because God loves you, he, he cares for you, and he's given you a command to rest, to slow down. Augustine, one of, the, one of the church fathers from years, years, and years ago, in a completely different culture with a completely different pressure, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. That was true for them years and years and years ago, and it's true for us today. And so this morning, as we study the fourth commandment, we're going to look at it from three different angles. It doesn't look like the clicker's working, Katie. So if we could go to the next slide, that would be great. We're going to look at it from three different angles. The origin of rest, the command to rest, and then what does it look like for us to rest in 2020? How does the command from thousands of years ago, from Mount Sinai, from God to Israel in the wilderness, how does that Sabbath command translate to us today in 2020? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And so let's start with just looking at the origin of rest. The origin of rest, if we could go to the next one there, Katie. The origin of rest is rooted in God resting and in love granting a day for his people. That's the origin of it. Did, did, did you know that, like, so think about this. Our days revolve around the sun, right? We have, we have morning and we have evening. Even our months have to do with science and the earth and its rotation. And then the year, 365 days, our our years are established by the rotation of the earth and the sun. But but our weekly rhythms, where do those come from? What defines a week? God does. Isn't it, is it an interesting that most cultures of the world, and there's been different times throughout history where different cultures have had like, they've tried 10-day work weeks or different calendars, but for the most part, the world 
has a seven-day week. It's because God has worked through his people to establish a rhythm of life for work and for rest. And so the very origin of rest, or the very origin of the Sabbath, this biblical command for God's people to rest, is in God himself resting and in love granting a day of rest for his people. And so this starts in Genesis chapter 2. If you want to look at that, you can. I encourage you to bring a Bible, look at a Bible as I'm preaching every Sunday at Park Community Church. Sometimes I'll go to the passages myself, other times I won't, but I want you to have a Bible. And so Genesis 2 Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, it reminds us that God created the world, right? Actually, let's, let's just flip there. I will flip to this one because it's so foundational. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, after God had created all other things, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. From all his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of the work that he had done. Now don't get caught up into some some Christian circles and people will get caught up into whether God created the world in six literal days and rested on a seventh literal day as we know it. Other people are older. Some people are young earth. Some people are old earth. We're not going to get caught up in that debate this morning. The truth is the word day there, it means a period of time. The Hebrew word is yom. It means a period of time. And throughout scripture, God will refer to a day. A day is like a thousand years in the eyes of the Lord. Um, I have personal opinions about how long God took to create the world, but I'm not going to share them with you because it doesn't matter. God created the world. He spoke the world into existence. And then he sets up this pattern of rest, of day and night. And then on the seventh day, God, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who, through the power of his voice, created the world as we know it, he rested. God didn't need to rest. He wasn't tapped out. He wasn't burdened. He wasn't stressed out. He wasn't out of energy. It's just this pattern that he set up. And like a good leader, he wanted to model what is good and right for his followers. And so this pattern of rest, the Sabbath rest, it finds its roots in God himself resting. Calling a day holy, setting a day apart, resting from all of the work that he had done, just enjoying creation. And so Exodus 20, it it hearkens the people of Israel back to that pattern. And then secondly, it it brings us back to Exodus chapter 16. So you'll notice the Ten Commandments are in Exodus chapter 20. But before this command is given to the people in Exodus chapter 20, God has given them an example of rest. Look at Exodus 16. Exodus 16 verse 22. This is as the people are, are on their way to Mount Sinai. God has led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of oppression in Egypt. He's part the Red Sea. He's crashed the Red Sea over on the oppressive Egyptians. He's leading them now to the promised land eventually, right? They'll get there 40 years later. God disciplined them for 40 years because of their grumbling and complaining and our idolatry. They're breaking the Ten Commandments. God disciplined them for that. But this is even before they get to the foot of Mount Sinai and they're given the Ten Commandments, and God had already set up a pattern of their rest. Look at verse 22 of Exodus 16. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Oh, for a little context, God is bringing manna, bread from heaven, down for the people to feed them in the wilderness. And they had actually been complaining earlier in Exodus chapter 16. They were saying, oh, if only we could go back to Egypt. 
because we're going to die of starvation here in the wilderness. We want to return to slavery. It was better for us to be oppressed and eat pots of meat, it says in Exodus 16, than for us to be free and trust God and trust that he will provide for us our basic needs of food and shelter. Isn't that amazing? The human heart, there's something in the human heart that actually would prefer slavery with security, with human control, than freedom with trusting God. I don't know that it's changed all that much. Before you look down on the Israelites, think about yourself. Do you value your own control and your own ability to provide for yourself and your family so much so that you might be enslaved to certain sins? Or do you value God's freedom enough to trust him day in and day out? And so this is what's happening here in context. Israel is wandering through the wilderness. They're complaining. They're saying, we want to go back to Egypt. Yes, we were oppressed. Yes, we were beaten. Yes, we were abused. But at least we had pots of meat. In the wilderness, we don't, we don't know how our next meal is going to come. And so God brings bread down from heaven. Look at actually up in verse 19. I'll start in verse 17. Exodus 16, verse 17. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some, more, some less. Different families, different appetites gathered more bread, some less bread. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. See, God every morning was giving them a fresh delivery of bread of manna. And God is stretching their trust. He's growing their trust. He's saying, you don't need to stock up. I'll provide for you tomorrow. And some of them kept more. Look at verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. I love that. Those who didn't trust God, and they thought, okay, I see bread now. It's tangible. It's physical. It's in front of me. I'm going to stockpile it. I'm going to hoard it. I'm going to keep it for tomorrow. It got rancid and rotten overnight, and they couldn't eat it the next day. Moses was angry with them because they're not listening to his instructions. They're not trusting God. Verse 21, morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now verse 22, here's where we see rest come into the equation. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. So this is the one day that they're able to stockpile a little bit more and save some for the next day. For, for the six days, God was providing bread, fresh bread for them every morning. And on the sixth day, they, they compiled enough bread for two days. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, and Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Amazing. On the six days, if they tried to stockpile and save up for themselves for that next day, it, it stank and it became rancid and rotten. But on the seventh day, God preserved it. Work six days, have a seventh day of rest. Verse 25, Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath day to the Lord. Today you will not find in the feet. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. 
So this pattern, this, the origin of rest, the origin of Sabbath in Scripture goes back to God resting on the seventh day. And then even before he gave them the Ten Commandments, God started to model, he modeled it for them by resting himself on the seventh day. And then as they're wandering through the wilderness, he's telling them, take a break, take a Sabbath, slow down. The seventh day is a day of rest for my people. The seventh day is my gift of love. I will preserve the food. I will preserve your life. I will provide enough for you. This is a day for you to just slow down, to kick back, to have a change of pace, to enjoy your family, to enjoy your friends, to enjoy fellowship around food that you didn't work for this day, that you didn't have to go out and hunt for this day, that you didn't have to go out and collect this day. Slow down and enjoy God and God's creation. Now, I want to just point out here, even in this, in this statement here, the origin of rest, that the origin of Sabbath is rooted in God resting. And we saw that, Genesis 2, 2 and 3. And in love, granting a day of rest for his people, he's, this is a loving command. Again, we've talked about this throughout the entire series. The Ten Commandments, we ought to think of them as God's ways of love. They're not, they're not restrictive rules trying to suck life and freedom from us. They're life-giving instructions trying to help us flourish. So because God loves us, he says, take a rest. And specifically, his commands are for his people, right? That's the other thing that we've been talking about as we go through the Ten Commandments, that God instructs his people in how to live. And so while the Ten Commandments are good for society, they're not given to society, they're given to God's people, so our job as God's people, as Christ followers, is not to try and enforce Sabbath upon the culture. It's not to try and enforce Sabbath upon America. It's good for America. It's good for any culture. It's good for any nation to rest. If the world would apply God's commands, it would flourish. But our job as God's people isn't to try and impose God's law on the world. In fact, our job, if you're a Christian, more so than trying to enforce God's law on the world, you should try and apply it in your own family, in your own life. Amen? So how often do we neglect Sabbath? And then Christians will talk about, well, Chick-fil-A is awesome because they don't serve chicken on Sunday. They're honoring the Sabbath. But then you'll go to the grocery store and you'll buy food at Cub. Right? Or you, you, you won't even rest yourself. You'll scroll, so, you'll, you'll scroll social media. You'll binge watch football. You'll do whatever it is, and you know it doesn't fill up your soul. And then in a moment of anger, you'll point your finger at the American culture. And so, church family, as we walk through the Ten Commandments, I just want to remind you, they're good for society, but they're given to you. They're given to us. So let's as God people start by humbly trying to apply these rules, these laws of love in our own lives, in our own family, in our own church, and show grace to a culture that these weren't even given to. Maybe if we actually apply these things with humility and grace in our own lives, the world would start to look at the church and take notice and say, there's something different about them. They're quiet and humble. They slowed down. They're not always searching for more. They're not always running their mouths. They're not always trying to tell other people what to do and how to do it. They have something that I want. I see some flourishing in their lives. They take a break, and, and oh, how I want to take a break. So just keep that in mind. 
To observe the Sabbath is to affirm our image-bearing as humans. Last week, as we looked at the third commandment, that, that we're not to take the Lord's name in vain, we talked about how all of mankind, all of people are created in the image and likeness of God, but only God's people have both the image of God and the name of God, right? All of mankind bears the image of God, but only those who follow God and surrender to his lordship, trust his son Jesus Christ, have his name to bear. And so as we observe the Sabbath, it's this, it's this convergence of our image-bearing nature. See, mankind, human beings, all human beings need to take a break because we have physical limitations, we have mental limitations, we have emotional limitations. We run out. God doesn't, and he modeled for us taking a break because he knows that his creation gets tired. Physical humanity gets worn out. And so to Sabbath is to align with our image-bearing nature, to take a break, and then to actually implement it aligns with our name-bearing responsibility. If you don't take a break, you're likely taking God's name in vain. You're breaking the third and the fourth commandment. And so that's the origin of rest. That's where it comes from. Next, let's look at the command to rest. What exactly is this command? The command to rest is for God's people to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. That's it, right? Very simple. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 tells us that. Here's the command, as simple as it can be. Remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Remember the day of rest to keep it holy. To remember means to call to mind, to observe. It doesn't mean just to think about it. Like, hey, remember that cool thing that happened back in the day? Remember how God rested on the seventh day? Yeah, I remember you remember. That's great. Remember how when we were wandering in the wilderness, God let us pick up manna? He let us pick up bread for six days and not for the seventh? Yeah, that was cool. That was great. That's, that's remembering a past event, but the point of remembering here in this, this Hebrew word and this idea isn't to just think about it. It's to remember what happened in the past and apply it in the present so that it would live on into the future. That's what it means to remember what God has done, to remember the Sabbath. It's to remember what God did, but then it's to apply it in the present so that it would live on into the future. And then holy Remember the Sabbath, so practice the Sabbath. Put it into practice. Remember the Sabbath. And to keep it holy. That's the command, keep it holy. What does it mean to keep it holy? How do we know if we're remembering the Sabbath, what God did, and practicing it here and now to live it on into the future? Well, by keeping it holy. The, the Hebrew word for holy, it means to set apart or to consecrate. To simply stated to make different. So remembering the Sabbath day means making a day different than all the other days and all the six days of the week. It's, it's a day set apart. And then throughout the Old Testament scriptures, there's many different ways that they set this day apart. God had given them some decree, some direction on how to set this day apart. And then they built upon it. And so to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy means not working. Simply, it's a day of rest. It's a day off. It's the day for them to stop striving. 
It's a day for all of the people who fall into the camp of Israel, into the people of Israel. These are, these are leaders, these are employers, employees, these are husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, children, everybody. Stop, breathe, slow down, breathe deep. Feel your heart beat again. Feel the breath come into your lungs. Hear the birds chirping. Notice the colors of the bushes in the wilderness. Feel. Feel your, your oneness with the earth. From dust you have came to dust you shall return. Feel your humanity. Feel your futility. Look at the dirt and the dust and the sand under your feet and be reminded, I, I came from that. Yahweh breathed the breath of life into me. I'm this weird combination of earth and God's breath. What does that mean? How do I, how do I engage my Savior? How do I connect with my Creator? Look at the beauty of his creation. I, I've slowed down. I've put my head up. I can see. I can feel. This is a day for us to stop working and to slow down. And so to remember it means to just cease. It's a day when all of God's creation, when all of God's people, and, and even the animals, they're all in harmony with one another. It's a day for them to observe the patterns of rest in scriptures. And so throughout the Old Testament, God had actually given a few patterns of rest. It was every seventh day. Remember the Sabbath, the seventh day, keep it holy. And then every seventh year, they would give fields a, a rest. The farmers wouldn't work the fields and they would let the ground lay fallow for a year. Amazing, right? You think, how, how are we going to create produce? How are we going to... How are we going to live? How are we going to be sustained if we're not constantly working, if we're not always pumping out produce and, and providing things to people and for ourselves? And God said, every seventh year, let the ground lay fallow. And the next year, it'll be more abundant, more fruitful. I'll preserve you. And then every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, where everyone was set free, all debts are let go. Every slave is returned. Every, it's just this amazing year of rest that God had given to his people in scripture. So this command is for God's people to remember this, this weekly rhythm of that, and then he would ramp it up every seventh year and every 50th year. But God wanted to give them this, this day of rest. It's this gift of love. But like all the other commandments, Israel failed to keep it. Over, over the years, they had actually built this hedge around the law. And so, actually, the Sabbath is one of the ones that they were better at keeping in theory, right? They, they followed the letter of the law. And so, especially the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders within Israel, they had, they had very specifically obeyed the Sabbath. They had observed the Sabbath, and they had set it apart. You can still see this today in St. Louis Park. We have a high population of Jews in St. Louis Park, and you will notice if you go a little bit east of here on Saturday, you'll see a lot of Jews walking around St. Louis Park because they're setting the Sabbath, the seventh day, aside and treating it differently than all the other days. They're not driving their cars, not using electricity, not going to the store, not, not doing life as normal. 
And, and so this actually, throughout Scripture, Israel was pretty good at observing the Sabbath. But they had turned it into a law to please God rather than a gift he had given them to find pleasure in God. You know the difference? Sometimes we start to do things because we think that God will either find favor with us because of our ability to do good things, or he will find displeasure, disfavor with us and cast us out of his presence. And so God had given this day as a gift to his people, as a gift of love to help their flourishing. And they had taken it and they said, okay, if we want to be on God's good side, we have to do this. And so they built what's called a hedge around the law, which is all these ex extra exterior laws around the main law. The main law, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then they had built all these different rules and laws around that to not even get close to that law. And so enter Jesus. This is where Jesus comes into the picture, and this is where we're going to now, um, where we're now going to connect it to us in 2020. And so even before I get into kind of how Jesus changes this for us, let's just keep in mind, this is a Sunday. Oftentimes in our culture, we see Christians, Jews are still observing Saturday as the Sabbath. Christians often view Sunday as the Sabbath. Why? Well, in, in the, in the, first century after the resurrection of Jesus, the Christians started to gather on Sunday because that was the day that the tomb was empty, that Jesus was resurrected, that he came back to new life. And so they started to observe Sunday as the Lord's Day, as their day of rest, as their day of worship, as their day of gathering. And so that's why you'll see the difference there. Um, I don't think it's right or wrong. And we're going to talk a little bit about this as we go. But first of all, I want to look at what does it mean for us to rest in 2020? How does this apply to New Testament Christians? The Sabbath is applied by God's new covenant people as we rest in Jesus' finished work and imitate his Sabbath rest. So we need to keep this in mind as we study the Ten Commandments. They were given to God's Old Testament people. They were for them, not for society, given to them. And now we live as God's people underneath the New Covenant. And, and so does this apply to us or not? Do we have to fulfill the Old Testament law or not? Yes and no. Right? Yes and no. And we'll talk about that. But what I want you to catch here is that we are God's new covenant people. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's new covenant person. And, and he summarizes the law by saying, love God and love others. In Matthew 22, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God, love others. The Ten Commandments give us some example of what it looks like to love God and to love others. In fact, I think the Ten Commandments also give us an example of what it looks like to receive God's love. Rest. God's gift of love for you. It'll help you to love God and to love others better, but also it's a way to experience God's love. And so Jesus comes on the scene. The whole New Testament is, the Gospels are Jesus coming into this religiously confused society. We have the Romans and all of their worship and their pagan gods. We have the Jews and all of the hedge around the law that they had built. And so Jesus comes into this society as a Jew, observing the Old Testament law as the Messiah of the Jews, who's going to fulfill all of the law, who's going to do all of the things that they can't do, and he's going to open up the door wide for Gentiles to enter as well. 
Jesus steps into this religious culture of Sabbath observance, where, where the Jews are using their observance, their observance of the Sabbath as kind of a, a check mark on their spiritual superiority. Right? And so they're, they're living in this very legalistic existence where if you keep the Sabbath, you're morally good, you're spiritually right. God must be pleased with you for you followed the rules. And if you're not following the Sabbath, shame on you. God is displeased with you. And you better act better. You better religiously fix yourself up. And so enter Jesus. I want to look at Matthew 20, uh, Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 2, excuse me. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Flip there with me. And let's see what Jesus does with the Sabbath when he comes on the scene. I'm going to study this a little bit, and then we'll talk about how the Sabbath applies to us in 2020. So Jesus comes, creating a new covenant people. Here's how he deals with the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See, it was unlawful to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath. Right? You, you, you couldn't do that because that's work. And remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is not working. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain field, plucking heads of grain, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, see it, and they're like, they're breaking the Sabbath. Shame on them. And he, Jesus, said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's a key to keep in mind as we think about Sabbath. As you think about observing God's good gift to you, we're going to talk about some practicalities in just a minute and about how this applies to us. But key among this is to see God's call for you to have a day of rest as a gift for you. It's not your gift to God. He doesn't need you to take a rest. And that's what Jesus says. The Sabbath was made for man, verse 27. Not man for the Sabbath. You weren't made to observe God's laws. God gave you his laws for your good. A much different way of looking at it. And religious people have a hard time seeing God's word this way, saying, oh, God's given me this as something that I get to do. Religious people think this is something that I have to do. If I don't do it, God will smite me. Grace people, gospel people, Jesus people, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this isn't how you're supposed to see the Sabbath. It's not just this law that you have to follow to keep God happy. God didn't create the Sabbath. He didn't create you to fulfill the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath to you to fulfill your soul, to set your soul free. And so Jesus comes and he, he changes or he, he rightly interprets the Sabbath. He recovers the Sabbath from the religious trappings that it was placed in. And he says, this is a day for you. It's a gift. And then continuing on, 
in chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They're watching Jesus, ready to trap him for breaking their religious rules and traditions. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them angry, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. The, the Pharisees and the Herodians were two groups of Jews, but they were different phil- philosophical groups of Jews. It's like two groups of Americans who have different political philosophies agreeing on something. It's, it's like Republicans and Democrats sitting down agreeing on something. The thing that they could agree on is, how are we going to kill this guy who is upsetting all of our religious traditions and rules? He's a threat to us. These, these two opposed groups found unity in how can we get Jesus out of here? Because they were, they were, they were scandalized by grace. They didn't understand it. Jesus comes and he says, the Sabbath is God's gift to you. And then when they try and trap him up, he says the Sabbath is to do good. It's to love God and to love others. So, yeah, I'm, I'm free to heal a man with a withered hand if I want on the Sabbath. I'm free to pluck a grain of wheat if I'm hungry and I need to eat on the Sabbath. Don't be bound by God's law. Understand God's law is a gift to you for you to flourish. A few other New Testament examples. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, as we understand how this Sabbath is now played out in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So in Jesus, things shift, things change. If you remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, not to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. And so we see Jesus fulfilling the law. We see him reteaching and reinterpreting the law, that the Sabbath is a gift for you. Observe it for your own good, for your own, for your own growth. Help others in need on it. It, it. It's a gift. It's a day for you to love God and to love others uniquely. And then Paul comes and he says, let no one pass judgment about the Sabbath. For these, the, these Old Testament realities are a shadow of a thing to come, but the substance is Christ. So in all, all of these Old Testament laws are pointing you to something. They're pointing you to someone. Just like a shadow. I, I have a little shadow up here right now. I can look at the shadow and it, I can tell in the shadow that I'm holding something in my hand, that there's an arm coming out and there's a body here. I could look at that shadow and I could have a vague idea of what's happening. But then you look at me, the substance of that shadow, and you see, oh, it's a Bible. Oh, it's a red shirt. Oh, he's about six foot two. The shadow, I look like I'm about three feet tall. The same, same thing. 
Scripture is teaching us that Jesus came to show us what true rest, true Sabbath is like. He came to fulfill the Old Testament law that we're incapable of fulfilling and to grant us God's true rest in him, a man. The Old Testament Sabbath is a shadow. Christ is the substance. One more, let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Well, I have to find Hebrews. I didn't mark it. You can just go there on your phones nice and quietly and find it. Hebrews chapter 4, speaking about rest. The writer of Hebrews, look at verse 8. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, and in context here they're talking about God's people, Israel, being led into the promised land, the land of rest, the land flowing with milk and honey. And he's saying, For if Joshua had given them rest, if the promised land was the true rest that the soul desires and needs, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. And so this is the New Testament reality, the New Testament covenant, saying that there was this this rest promised and commanded in the Old Testament, and God gave them seasons of rest. He gave them days of rest. He gave them years of rest. He gave them the 50th year of rest. He led them into the promised land, the land of rest. But there was something more. There, there was something that had to be fulfilled, something that had to be done, something that had to then be applied to them. And it's the rest of God. Look at verse 11. He says, for, uh, verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. See, this idea here is that Jesus came and accomplished for us a way to be in the presence, the peace, the rest of God. Jesus fulfilled the law's demands, so you and I don't have to strive to fulfill the law's demands. What we do now is we have to strive to believe what Jesus has done. We strive to enter his rest. That's what this passage is saying. That's how we apply the Sabbath in the new covenant. As the new covenant people, we strive to rest in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Amen? And we strive to imitate his Sabbath rest. What is his Sabbath rest? It's seen as a gift from God, and it's using it as a way to love others. So if you boil down the Sabbath day, what is the Sabbath day? It's a day set apart, whether your work schedule doesn't allow for it to be Sunday or Saturday. It's a period of time, primarily a day, if you can make it happen, set apart for you to love God and to love others. As we close down this morning, I just want to look at seven tips for the seventh day. Seven tips for the seventh day. So if we could go over to that last slide there, Katie. Um, If you could just go to the last one and pull all of the seven up, and I'll just walk through them here. So here's some things that I've found helpful in and of myself as I've tried to practice Sabbath rest. I'm going to start with, well, we'll just start at number one. Make a plan, but hold it with open hands. I found it's really helpful to actually plan out a day of rest. Now, again, it doesn't matter if it's Saturday, if if it's Sunday, if it's a Wednesday, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Keep in mind, this is a gift that God has given you. And if you're going to observe it, it's really helpful to make a 
plan, but hold it with open hands. Be flexible. Sabbath rest won't happen to you. It's something that you have to strive to enter. That's what Hebrews is saying. Strive to enter God's rest. There were were days of preparation in the Old Testament where they would prepare for this day of rest. And even though we're not in the Old Covenant, I think it's a good, wise thing to prepare for a day of rest and to plan for a day of rest. Build intentionality for that day, but allow some flexibility. Number two, work hard for six days and rest on the seventh. Most of us, many of us in our culture, if you have one full-time job, you likely work five days a week. It's actually a pretty modern invention to have a two-day weekend. It wasn't norm until 1940. Did you know that? Up until 1940, that was the first time that, that a, that a two-day weekend was, was kind of um, cauterized for our nation, for working full-time people, 40 hours a week, you get Saturday and Sunday off. Not until 1940. And here we are thinking we're so busy. And everyone who came before us worked six days a week, most of them seven, and that wasn't a good thing. It's not a good pattern. God says, work six days, take a seventh day off. That doesn't mean that you have to work a sixth day. What it does mean is that maybe you ought to do your paid work in five days, and you ought to do all of your other stuff on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, you actually take a break. You take a rest. Maybe you do all your household chores. Maybe you do all your shopping. Maybe you do all your cooking, all your cleaning, all your, all your yard work on the sixth day. And then the seventh day, you actually just slow down. And you do nothing. And you just rest and relax. Maybe you limit or eliminate household chores. I found that to be really helpful. My wife, not so much. Maybe you limit or eliminate media intake. A true biblical Sabbath rest isn't binge-watching Netflix. It's not a couple free hours to kick back your feet and scroll social media. I'm confident in telling you that does nothing for reviving your soul. That doesn't help you to experience God and to love God and to love neighbor. It helps you to judge neighbor and to be frustrated with God. And so maybe for you, it would just be to limit or eliminate media and social media altogether. Saying no to some people and things is really good. In a culture where we're always saying yes, where there's a constant demand on our attention, Maybe God, in love, wants you to say no to some people who you love. Amen? What a great gift. That's not to say no to everyone and everything. Remember? Jesus, the Pharisees are testing him on the Sabbath in the synagogue with a man with a withered hand, and he said, I'm not going to stop doing good just so that I can check off a little religious duty. And, and, And so this isn't an exemption to say you can do whatever you want on this day. But maybe for you to actually experience God more fully, you do need to say no to some people and some things. Ultimately, number six, it's a day to worship God and to love others, to genuinely, truly, fully worship God. Part of a Sabbath rhythm is gathering with God's people, whether that's in your home, around a table, reading some psalms, enjoying some food, laughing whether that's coming to a church building, singing songs that remind you of the gospel that set you on Christ, that help you to strive to enter his rest. 
That's part of the rhythm of Sabbath. It's to worship God and it's to love others. And then lastly, don't be legalistic. Remember, we live in the new covenant. The Sabbath day is not binding upon you, but it is beneficial for you. Isn't that the beautiful thing of what Jesus has done? He's come to fulfill the law. And then he reapplies it and says, this is God's gift for you. If you want to experience rest, if you want to slow down, if you want to feel like the, the constant demand for your time and attention, if you want to feel a break of that, rest. And so don't be legalistic about it. If we go to the last slide, as we close down this morning, you knew that we can end on a list of seven things to do, right? I want to reapply the gospel here as we come back to communion. As we take communion this morning, let's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy by trusting the words and the work of Jesus. The one who said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for fulfilling the laws of demands. We thank you for observing Sabbath rightly for using it as a day to love God and to love others, for teaching us that it's a day for us. It's a gift for us. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to know how to apply it to our lives and our unique situations with family, with work, with different demands. Lord, we long to experience your rest. So Lord, may it fall upon us now as we remember that the ultimate work has been accomplished through your life, death, and resurrection. In your name we pray. Amen.